Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. Wow, it is uh, September the 9th, 2022. Um, Happy you can join me. Glad to join you this evening. Two days out from the 21st anniversary of the terror attacks of September 11th, 2001. Um, What I wanted to do today is to devote my program to talking about not only 9-11, uh, retrospectively, but prospectively, where are we now? Uh, and my goodness gracious, uh, how much safer or less safe are we? Well, if you're familiar with my work, you know that in my humble opinion, we've never been at a greater risk for additional terror attacks, <clears throat> largely because of the ineptitude and corruption of our own government. And when you say that, well, corruption sounds strong, How in the world can you explain that our own government, and not just under the Biden administration, under Bush, under Obama, blatantly ignored the findings and recommendations of the 9-11 Commission? Simple question. Simple question. Uh, You know, when an airplane crashes, when two of our space shuttles were destroyed, in each case, the government convened an investigation to determine what went wrong They figured out where the vulnerabilities were, and they did everything possible within reason to address the vulnerabilities. That makes sense, you would think. The 9-11 Commission, uh, to which, by the way, I I provided testimony, I was interviewed by the commission, um, was convened to perform that very function. In fact, what I want to do, I want to start out reading something to you today. It, It might be helpful. This is the... Preface of the 9-11 Commission Report. I've never read this on the air. I think it's an important document, the 9-11 Commission Report. By the way, when our special forces raided the bin Laden compound and took out that piece of human detritus, they seized his library, and among the items found in the bin Laden library was a copy of the 9-11 Commission Report and an application for United States citizenship. You know, we're hearing so much about the Mexican border. We always hear about the Mexican border. This has been going on for decades. The Mexican border, the Mexican border, the Mexican border. Pardon me. Goodness, can't get rid of the uh, frog in my throat. In fact, when they tried, when they, the Congress, tried to ram comprehensive immigration down our throats after 9-11, once we secure the Mexican border, Wait a minute. Why is that the be-all and end-all of immigration? If the Mexican border was airtight in the years leading up to 9-11, if a a fly or a mosquito couldn't have gotten across the border, if we were able to conjure up the um, uh, shield from the Starship Enterprise and block off our border where it was hermetically sealed, 9-11 would have still happened exactly the way it happened. The bombing of 93 at the Trade Center would have happened exactly the way it happened. The same people would be dead. That's not to say the Mexican border should be secured. It must be secured, but it's only one element of many elements. And the problem is the focus is always on the Mexican border. Part of it is so that the Border Patrol could have its power and its funding and its prestige. But I would make a case that ICE agents actually are more essential to national security than the Border Patrol. I know that sounds like a revolutionary idea, and it's not a knock on the Border Patrol. I work with many agents who started in the patrol. In fact, when I hired on with the former INS, the Immigration and Naturalization Service, back then, 1971, hard to believe, my gosh, over 50 years ago, everybody who was hired and was given a badge went to the Border Patrol Academy in Los Fresnos, Texas, for training. The Border Patrol Academy was where we trained every immigration officer, period. Okay? 
Do they do dangerous, important work? Absolutely. But it's only one issue, and once past the Border Patrol, their mission ends. They're into interdiction. Stop people from evading the inspections process. That's their job. Make sure that nobody trespasses. Kind of like the school crossing guard whose job is to make certain that nobody jaywalks. Now, let's understand, that comparison, which has been frequently used of running the border, is not a big deal. It's like jaywalking is baloney. Because if an alien has been deported from the United States and they have a criminal history and they come back without permission, they're looking at 20 years in a federal penitentiary. I worked with Senator Al D'Amato to help write that law. I convinced him that we needed it. And then one of my former bosses who passed away a number of years ago, uh, a gentleman by the name of Walter Connery, who came out of the NYPD, he was a deputy inspector for internal affairs, had a law degree, he was involved with the NAP Commission, real good guy, impressive background. He had written, unbeknownst to me, a legislative initiative to send it to D'Amato at the same time that I was talking to D'Amato's people for the same purpose. Let's change the penalty for reentry by criminal aliens. So make no mistake, the border is important. Border security is national security. But the question is, where are the borders? And what we're hearing now, um, whether you're listening to Fox News, I don't care where. You got the, the mayors of all these sanctuary, liberal, left-leaning, leftist, radical cities is what I really have to describe. And full disclosure, I'm a registered Democrat, but they are of a very different elk than the Democrats I voted for when I first became a Democrat back in college. <clears throat> but understand that while border security is so essential, sanctuary cities draw aliens across the border. They wouldn't be coming if they didn't think they could get what they wanted when they came here. I coined an expression during one of my very first TV appearances shortly after 9-11. I was a regular on Lou Dobbs tonight when he was at CNN. And I said something that got him to laugh so hard that they had to go to an unscheduled commercial break because he couldn't stop laughing. Because what I had said to him, because, you know, Lou had that expansive way. Mike Cutler, what in the world is going on? These people are running the border. This is back, you know, perhaps 2002, 2003. What in the world is going on? I said, look, look at it this way. Nobody would break into the amusement park if they couldn't get to go on the ride. Here, the American citizens are paying for these people to ride, so why in the world are you surprised? And he just had one hell of a belly laugh. He couldn't stop laughing. Neither could the people on the set. But that is the case. Illegal aliens come here because they are encouraged with the notion that once they get past the border, whether it's the international airport, seaport, our coastline, that's all borderline, right? 95,000 miles of coastline, the Canadian border. Once they get into the interior, they have nothing to fear. They can get the job that they want, most likely. They can commit crimes. They can do whatever they want. If they're gangsters, if they're drug dealers, if they're just looking for work, if they're fugitives from justice, once within the interior, they are home free. As I said when I testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee, and I was talking about Obama back then, I said that the immigration policies of the Obama administration had, in essence, fired the starter's pistol for aspiring illegal aliens from all over the world and for those folks to finish line at the border of the United States. And sanctuary cities amp up the rewards, amp up the incentive, because in sanctuary cities, for the most part, the police are not allowed to work cooperatively with immigration. It's insane. It's insane. If the cops stop somebody... For running red lights they used to call us we got a guy who's drunk out of his mind he's got a van a whole bunch of people that can't speak english and you come down to the precinct and we would arrest the illegal tour with them we send them back it was like common sense you trespass you leave you break into someone's house you don't say gee whiz you better prepare the guest room no you call the police they arrest them and charge them as a, at a minimum with breaking and entering and if they took anything it's called burglary but not where our borders are concerned because the globalists, the Chamber of Commerce, the American Immigration Lawyers Association, the so-called nonprofits, the boys, is an Orwellian term, nonprofits, the NGOs, non-government organizations, are all literally and figuratively making out like bandits. This is a delivery system for them. <clears throat> so suddenly, the police were told, don't cooperate with immigration. Why? Why? This isn't about being anti-immigrant. All the lies, all the nonsense, it's about simply protecting America and immigrants from people who, if they came here, 
would have an adverse impact on us, whether they would be undermining national security or public safety or public health or the jobs and wages of people working legally in the United States. That's what this is about. We have limited resources. As it is, we admit in an average year a million lawful immigrants. They're given green cards. They're put on the path of citizenship. A million, more than a million. That is more than the rest of the world combined. This isn't anti-immigrant. This is about making certain we know who we're letting in so we don't let in criminals and that so we don't overwhelm our system. Education, health care, transportation. We have a massive drought out west. Every person here, and I've spoken about this before, every person here requires about 100 gallons of water per day to drink, to cook with, to brush teeth, for sanitary purposes, etc., 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 to take a shower, wash your face, uh, about 100 gallons a day. Biden let in a couple of million. That means if there's a million people here, they require 100 million gallons of water per day. And we have a drought. Does this make sense? We don't have enough electricity in California. The geniuses there that want all electric vehicles are telling people, don't charge anything of consequence. Really? Well, Every person who comes here needs electricity, needs sewerage, needs for their children education, may need health care, needs transportation. Infrastructure is being overwhelmed. That's why you have immigration laws. We know how much we can deal with. If you invite people to a party, you know what your budget is, you know how big your dining room is, whatever, and so you stay within your limits. That's what this is about. But immediately, if you dare suggest we enforce immigration laws, you're, you're described as a hater. In fact, the Anti-Defamation League uh, had my name in a recent article about the haters of immigration. No, I, I don't have any problem with immigration, provided we don't overwhelm our schools and our environment, and we don't permit criminals and terrorists to enter the United States. And by the way, the most likely victims of crime committed by transnational criminals are the members of the ethnic immigrant communities because that's where they live. And because they are transnational, meaning that they have their feet in more than one country, generally two, maybe three, they can threaten family members of the immigrants in their home countries, for example, if they cooperate with the police and so forth. So imagine people who come to America legally. They wait years. They do everything they can because they want to get away from the corruption. They want to get away from the crime. They want to get away from poverty. They want an opportunity to live freely. And that's becoming increasingly difficult with the lunatic left, by the way, who think that the First Amendment is wrong. Wow. Uh, But then they wake up and find to their horror that the people that they were running from when they came here now live next door to them. I don't like that idea, and I'm sure you don't either. But if you dare espouse it in public, you're anti-immigrant. So that brings me to the point of the 9-11 Commission, because I guess they were anti-immigrant also. Let me read to you the preface of the 9-11 Commission report. We present the narrative of this report and the recommendations that flow from it to the President of the United States, the United States Congress, and the American people to their consideration. Ten commissioners, five Republicans, and five Democrats chosen by elected leaders from our nation's capital at a time of great partisan division, have come together to present this report without dissent. We have come together with a unity of purpose because our nation demands it. September 11, 2001 was a day of unprecedented shock and suffering in the history of the United States. The nation was unprepared. How did this happen and how can we avoid such tragedy again? To answer these questions, the Congress and the President created the National Commission on Terrorist Attacks upon the United States, Public Law 107-306, date November 27, 2002. Our mandate was sweeping. The law directed us to investigate, quote, facts and circumstances relating to the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001, including those relating to intelligence agencies, law enforcement agencies, diplomacy, immigration issues, and border control, the flow of assets to terrorist organizations, commercial aviation, the role of congressional oversight and resource allocation, and other areas determined relevant by the commission. 
in pursuing our mandate, we have reviewed more than two and a half million pages of documents and interviewed more than 1,200 interviews in 10, I'm sorry, 1,200 individuals in 10 countries. <clears throat> this included nearly every senior official from current and previous administrations who had responsibility for topics covered in our mandate. We have sought to be independent, impartial, thorough, and nonpartisan. From the, con- from the outset, we have been committed to share as much of our investigation as we can with the American people. To that end, we held 19 days of hearings and took public testimony from 160 witnesses. And that's where we are. Okay, folks, that was the purpose for the 9-11 Commission. Alejandro Mayorkas, the head of Homeland Security, has announced that he will be coming to New York on Sunday, marking the 21st anniversary. I have a simple question for Mr. Mayorkas. Have you read the 9-11 Commission report? I've written extensively about him because he was the head under Obama of a piece of an element of the Department of Homeland Security, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. That agency gets almost no attention anywhere. And yet, in my judgment, they are America's locksmiths. I was an adjudications officer for a year. I did the marriage interviews, uh, the same interviews you've seen in the movies, whether it was the movie Green Card or The Proposal, where the um, the officer interviews the husband and wife to see if they're really living together. I did that job for a year. You know, when I speak about immigration, I'm not speaking from conjecture. I didn't have a hair grow out of my left ear, and that's why I have an idea now. I was with the former INS for 30 years. I rotated through every squad within the investigations branch, part of the anti-smuggling unit. I was part of the frauds unit. In fact, my very first fraud investigation way back in 1976 caused me to trip over a terror plot in Israel. As a result, we presented the bombing of an oil refinery, saved a major Israeli facility, and saved quite a few lives along the way. I remember having dinner with the Israeli consul general not long after, and he brought me to tears. I was sitting in his house, and he said to me, Mr. Cutler, if it wasn't for you and what you did, um, or because of what you did, rather, let me back up, because of what you did, there will always be children playing in Israel who would not have had the opportunity to be born had you not done what you did to help us to prevent the attack. It was very emotional. I mean, that's a hell of a statement. What he's really saying is by stopping the attack, we enabled generations of Israelis to be born in the future who would not have otherwise been born. It blows my mind. The same way that if America did not allow my mother to come into the United States legally, I might add, prior to the Second World War, she would have died in the Holocaust. I was named for my grandmother, my mother's mother, who was killed in Poland because she couldn't get out of Poland. So if America did not admit my mother, she would not have survived. I would not have been born. My children and my grandchildren would not have been born. I owe America everything as far as I'm concerned. And what I do is a labor of love, not a labor of bigotry. I don't have a problem with people coming here from anywhere, provided, again, that it doesn't overwhelm our systems and it doesn't endanger public safety, public health, or national security. And if that's a problem, then I want someone to explain what in the world the problem is. So here we are two days out, and look at where we are. First of all, let me tell you that when George W. Bush created the Department of Homeland Security, he did so in violation of the Homeland Security Act. I've spoken about it before. John Hostetler, who had real courage, real spine, real morality, he was the Republican chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee, made it clear that because of the way DHS was put together by Bush, he violated the law, made it impossible to secure the borders, enforce the laws, and protect the American people, even after it was determined that 9-11 could only have happened because of multiple failures of the immigration system. Think about that. This was amazing to me. You had a bunch of Republicans in Congress 
who were at odds with George W. Bush, the Republican president. And please, don't tell me that George W. Bush was a neocon. He was a Republican. I'm so tired of all this nonsense. Let's own what the responsibilities are. Let's make sure that politicians can't wriggle off the hook. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. And I actually testified twice to Sheila Jackson Lee. In fact, there was a hearing uh, on March 10, 2005, and the topic of the hearing was the Interior Immigration Enforcement Resources. I was one of the witnesses called to that hearing. And John Hostetler said this, last week this subcommittee reviewed the lack of adequate resources to secure our national borders against the entry of criminals, gangs, terrorists, and other lawbreakers, uh, but what resources have we committed to finding and removing such aliens who are already living among us? That is the subject of this week's hearing. I actually testified at that other hearing also, by the way. It was the dual missions of immigration. And he was very clear about it. And Host Stetler went on and said the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel stated that it had identified numerous entry and embedding tactics associated with earlier attacks in the United States and that prior to 9-11, whoops, uh, bear with me one moment. Sometimes my computer can give me a fit. Okay. And, and that prior to, to, to 9-11, um, abuse of the immigration system and a lack of interior immigration enforcement were unwittingly working together to support terrorist activities. That's right. That's exactly what was said in the 9-11 Commission staff report. Now, you should know that in addition to the 9-11 Commission report, the staff of federal agents and attorneys prepared the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel because they came to the conclusion that as much as the 9-11 Commission emphasized immigration failures, there were additional failures that needed to be memorialized. So they authored this official report that was published by the government printing office. It wasn't the tabloid. It wasn't a newspaper article. This is an official government report. And they talk quite a bit about interior enforcement, which, by the way, sanctuary cities thwart. How in the world does that happen? Why do we have sanctuary cities helping illegal aliens violate the law and escape detection from immigration authorities? Under Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1324, what sanctuary cities do are felonies, aiding, abetting, encouraging, inducing, harboring, shielding, transporting illegal aliens, enabling them to remain here thereafter uh, without authority, are felonies. If you or I did it, uh, you'd be violating the law. Of course, under the, under the Biden administration, I doubt anybody would come knocking on your door. I mean, maybe if I did it, because I'm sure they don't much care for me, but that's mutual. I don't care for them either, so we're even. But that's what the law says aiding, abetting, encouraging, inducing, harboring, shielding, transporting of all felonies. Isn't that what we're doing in sanctuary cities? So now the sanctuary city mayors are yodeling, oh, my God, the governor of Texas has turned us into a border town. Estimated, or has been estimated for the last 20 years, it's outrageous, that there's 11 million illegal aliens in the United States. So where do you think they're living? And actually, according to Princeton and I believe MIT and other universities, Prior to the Biden administration, God knows where the numbers are now, they believed that there were at least 22 or 23 million illegal aliens in the United States uh, back in 2018. Well, where have they been living? In the clouds? Under a rock? No, they've been living in cities across America. And guess where they tended to go most frequently? You guessed it, sanctuary cities. Because they knew that by living in a sanctuary city, they would have little to fear from law enforcement. That is why El Chapo Guzman, one of the most prolific and violent drug cartel leaders in the history of Mexico, set up shop where? In Queens, New York. Okay? Why? Because even with the most sophisticated and best equipped and trained police department in the country, if not the world, the NYPD, <clears throat> New York sanctuary policies helped to run interference for them against immigration authorities. Why in the world would we allow a local city or a state to undermine federal law enforcement 
when it is such a major component of national security, according to the 9-11 Commission. And even the courts ruled, oh, no, they can do this, whatever they want, it's fine. When President Trump tried to push back, there was a meltdown in the courts and a meltdown in Washington. And if that doesn't demonstrate corruption, I want someone to explain what is going on and why. Why? How is that not corruption? Why in the world are we giving driver's licenses to illegal aliens and we can't prove who they are? And in fact, up until just a few years ago, that was not allowed because if you look at the 93 terror attacks, they involved cars, vehicles. You had the shooting at the CIA by a Pakistani by the name of Kansi who had applied for political asylum. He bought into a courier van service. He had a permit so that he could park, drive into and park in the parking lot of the CIA in Virginia. And in January 93, he pulled into the parking lot as people were coming on duty. And he did not have a package, but he did have an AK-47. He opened fire, killed two CIA officers, wounded others, fled the country. And then one month later, we had the bombing at the Trade Center. Six dead, over 1,000 injured, a half billion dollars in damage with a B, almost brought the tower down sideways. And how was that done? Well, an illegal alien, an alien who violated his immigration status, rented the truck, and another illegal alien drove the truck. Now we're giving driver's licenses to people who can't prove who they are, which is what undocumented means. And everyone wanted to talk about the numbers. How many have we arrested? How many this? How many that? Let me ask you a question, by the way, before we get too carried away about numbers. And I've had arguments with people. Oh, you know, Trump didn't do a good job. Obama actually deported more people. First of all, that was Bush playing games with words. It used to be that a deportation meant the alien was in the United States. We arrested him and had him formally deported, which meant he went before a judge. He was thrown out of the country. And if he came back, he's looking at criminal violations for unlawful reentry. And then Bush said, well, we've got to jack up the numbers so we can con the American people because they're gullible, right? Wink, wink. So they use the term remove rather than deport, and remove meant that when someone attempts entry at a port of entry and they're told, no, you can't come in, that used to be called an exclusion, not the same thing as a deportation, but now exclusions and deportations are called one thing, removals. They almost doubled the number of removals by including people not let in at ports of entry. It's all a numbers game, a semantics game. It's all about twisting the facts. It's all about conning the American people. Most politicians, there's a few exceptions, but only a few, are grifters and con artists. When you look at Joe Biden and his con artistry, don't be shocked. He's swimming in the appropriate swamp. Actually, I don't like the word swamp. It's a successful swamps are part of the environment without swamps. Um, we would have problems because critters live in the swamp. It's part of the ecosystem. The, a, a, a sewer or, or a, a cesspool, uh, well, that's artificial. There's nothing good to be found in either of those locations. And the smell, well, it speaks for itself. So if you want to look at numbers, how many people were apprehended last year trying to break into Fort Knox? And the answer probably is zero. Zero arrests? Oh, my God, what a terrible job they did. No, actually, the fact that there was zero arrests, even though there's all that gold at Fort Knox, unless you're a gold finger, okay, uh, and James Bond had to be called into action, people don't break into Fort Knox because they know it's a fool's errand. can't be done. It's impregnable. They do a great job of securing it. So you have zero arrests. You see how the numbers don't really mean anything except what the lying politicians could give the redundancy want the numbers to mean. We have to look beyond the numbers. We have to look beyond the border. And when you look at interior enforcement, you realize that this is the third leg of what I've come to call the enforcement tripod that has been intentionally ignored by the politicians because if you do interior enforcement, then... You're going to find crooked lawyers. Could you imagine a lawyer who's dishonest? Boggles the mind. Crooked businessmen couldn't imagine any of that going on. And then you would be breaking up human smuggling operations. 
So you'd be interfering with the delivery system that delivers an unlimited supply of exploitable labor, foreign tourists, foreign students, and for our friends, the immigration lawyers, a limitless supply of clients. So what do you do? You don't hire ICE agents. You pass tough laws, and then you have nobody to enforce the law. We have 6,000 ICE agents. 6,000 for the whole country. 6,000 ICE agents. And even under the best of circumstances, because they do so many other jobs, thanks to the way George W. Bush put DHS together, they also have to do money laundering and intellectual property theft and kiddie porn and, and all kinds of other laws. <clears throat> Why? It's a distraction. Keep them busy so that they don't enforce the immigration laws. That's the game. That's the game. We don't want the laws enforced, so we pass tough laws, and we make sure there's no one out there to enforce the tough laws. That's the game. So you have all these IRS agents, and they're saying that they're going to be doubling the number by hiring 87,000. So we already have tens of thousands of IRS agents. Think about that. <clears throat> but that's okay because they go after Americans who don't pay their taxes, and it can become a political weapon. If you remember, it was Richard Nixon who had his political enemies list and wanted to use the IRS to punish the people that he disagreed with. And then you had uh, Miss Lerner, who worked for Obama, who admitted um, to a point that they were treating conservative groups differently when they applied to status under the internal revenue laws. And then she started to plead the fifth. And I was told when I was hired on, we sat at the academy and they handed us our badges, <clears throat> you still have the Fifth Amendment protection. The Constitution is the Constitution. But if you invoke the Fifth, take your badge out of your pocket, put it on the table, take a hard look at it because it's going away. And that's for Ms. Lerner. So what we're doing now is we're going to hire, this government is going to hire an army of IRS agents. Um, and you have to wonder who they're going to focus on. This is madness. We're more concerned with people that make mistakes on tax returns than aliens who lie on applications for citizenship, political asylum, and so forth, even though it was determined by the 9-11 Commission <clears throat> that immigration fraud, people lying on those applications, was the key method of entry and embedding for the terrorists. In point of fact, the very first time I participated in a congressional hearing was way back on May 20th, 1997 four and a half years before the attacks of 9-11. That hearing was convened because of the two terror attacks carried out in 93 that I just mentioned, that the CIA and the First Trade Center bombing. Because everybody knew that just about every one of the terrorists in one way or another had gamed the immigration system and lied and committed fraud. Okay, so we all know this is the issue. This is the vulnerability. The Border Patrol does not investigate fraud, okay? That's something that ICE agents do. And we have no ICE agents, and you have Mayorkas declaring that when aliens lie on their applications for citizenship, because they're American, we as a country will protect them for the violations of law. Think about that. Immigration fraud is a felony, and if you commit fraud in conjunction with terrorism, the penalties could be as high as 25 years in jail. Certainly not jaywalking. But Mayorkas made it clear, people who lie will not be punished. We have no interest in finding them or taking adverse action. People who knowingly hire illegal aliens have nothing to fear. Part of the reason we have immigration laws initially was to protect the jobs and wages for Americans. The Democrat Party used to be the party of blue-collar America. That's why I became a Democrat. My dad was a construction worker, a tradesman. By the way, in my Cutler world, uh, I, I think one tradesman is, is worth at least uh, 20, um, you know, paper pushers somewhere. Without tradesmen, there'd be no houses, no roads, no cars, no railroads, no airplanes, no hospitals, no computers, no nothing. Tradesmen built this country. Tradesmen built the world. So the idea was to protect American workers from foreign competition. No more. Neither party has a desire to do that. It's all about cheap labor, maximum profits. Back in the 50s, the average CEO made something like 50 times what his or her workers made on the production floor, which is fair. I don't have a problem with that. Today, it's likely more than 500 times.
times in some industries, 500 times. This is the willful planned destruction of the middle class uh, at a level of greed we've never seen before. The American dream was inextricably linked to a vibrant, upwardly mobile middle class. Not so vibrant, not so upwardly mobile anymore. Alan Greenspan, in fact, back in 2009, said that the solution to wage inequality between Americans with skills, and by skills, what he meant were people with advanced degrees, scientists, engineers, computer programmers. They're making too much money, he said. They call them the privileged elite. And said the solution to stop sending all this money to that sector is to make those Americans compete with foreign workers so we could slash that wage premium, then we greatly reduce inequality in wages between Americans with skills and those with lesser skills. He was calling for communism, basically. And both parties are all in, make no mistake. I call them as I see them. And if I piss somebody off, I can live with that. I don't have a problem with that. I came from Brooklyn. <clears throat> so understand the problem. But Joe Biden comes along in Afghanistan leaves behind billions of dollars of first-rate military hardware, creates a base of operations for ISIS that we had ended through the sacrifice of how many American lives, how many soldiers who came home grievously injured, how much money did we spend, and Biden undid it within a week. Within a week. Boom. We're gone. We left behind our allies. Nobody knew we were leaving. We snuck away in the dead of night. Kind of like ghosting somebody, I guess, right? Disappear. Where is he? I don't know. Anybody see him? Nope. And then, because we allowed the Taliban to take control, they released 5,000 terrorists. Boom. They're out there somewhere. And we have a wide open border. But it's not just the Mexican border that can provide the terrorists with access to America. You see? And the reason I suspect that the media doesn't really talk much about citizenship and immigration services, I did try to get 60 minutes to do a piece, and then at the last minute they pulled out, because there's nothing dramatic. What are you going to do, show an adjudications officer sitting at a desk with an approval stamp? Understand that once you give an alien a green card or lawful status or especially U.S. citizenship, you're giving them the keys to the kingdom. I don't care if we build a wall on the border that's 100 feet tall, that's slathered with Teflon and grease and, and, and has electrified concertine wire. Because an alien with a green card or a U.S. passport walks right through that port of entry, welcome home, sir. Welcome home, ma'am. We're so happy you're here. The border becomes irrelevant. That's how important this process is. And we have no clue who we're giving citizenship to, who we're giving political asylum to. Think about the Sarnayo family from Russia. Their son carried out the Boston Marathon attack back in 2013. They applied for asylum and they were full of it. And in New York, you have the mayor referring to the illegal aliens coming up from the border as asylum applicants because it sounds mushy and warm and, oh, you know, you get the warm snuggles listening to this. Asylum is very specific. In fact, when I was on with Megyn Kelly over at Fox News, a couple of days after the Boston bombing, she said to me, well, Mr. Cutler, political asylum means that the country I come from is so lousy and so miserable, I don't want to stay there anymore. I was surprised at Megan. Megan's a lawyer. She should know better. That's not why you get asylum. That's not why you get asylum. If that was the case, people living in San Francisco, people living in Chicago should be able to get asylum. Los Angeles, right? It's lousy, it stinks, there's drug dealers, there's rampant crime, bullets flying through the air. I mean, really, I think the crime rate is worse in those cities than the third world. So that's not why you get asylum. In order to qualify for political asylum, the law is very specific. You have to be able to articulate a credible fear that stands up to investigation, that because of your race, religion, ethnicity, sexual orientation, political beliefs, you face persecution or worse in your home country. Your life is at stake, so you're seeking protection because of who you are as a human being. Not because I hate living a poor life, I'm looking for a better job, or there's too many bullets flying through the air at night. No, you're being persecuted because of who you are as a human being. Period, full stop, end of conversation. The people applying for asylum have as much chance of getting asylum because they don't meet that standard 
as you or I would get of, of having a buying a winning lottery ticket. In fact, in an article for Front Page Magazine, I, I said that to call these people asylum applicants would be the same as calling somebody on welfare without a job an aspiring millionaire because he or she bought a lottery ticket. Well, if the ticket hits, they're going to be millionaires, so they're aspiring millionaires. No, this is all about deceptive language designed to manipulate the American people and confound any kind of an honest discussion which we desperately need to have. There are military folks who have warned us that because of what happened in Afghanistan, within a year or two, ISIS, Taliban, Al-Qaeda will probably have the wherewithal to launch terror attacks in the United States. Does that not give you great cause for pause? And Mayorkas is the guy that said we're not going to pursue immigration fraud. And Sheila Jackson Lee, I wonder what happened to Sheila. I did two hearings for her. Those of you who remember six months to the day after 9-11, it was discovered that two of the dead terrorists, Mohammed Atta and Marwan al-Shehi, they were in the two cockpits of the two airplanes that slammed into the two towers of the World Trade Center. Atta was the ringleader. They were granted authorization to attend flight school six months after the attacks. Rudy Decker, the owner of the flight school, he was a German citizen, contacted Congress. He said, what's going on? These guys are dead. I, I saw their pictures. I know who they are. And, and, and they just got permission to attend my flight school. How could that be? So they held a hearing, and Sheila Jackson Lee reached out to me as the Jim Sensenbrenner, who was the Republican chairman of the House Judiciary Committee at the time. And it was funny because I had just gotten into an argument with Anthony Weenie, as I called my former congressman, Weiner, who was a reprobate. Uh, one of my sons, my oldest son, worked for him as a volunteer, and he treated the kids like garbage. Um, and I was the parent association president of my daughter's public school, so he was there for a breakfast. And I tried to approach him to talk about my concerns about immigration, and the stench from the cauldron at ground zero still permeated the air in New York. You could smell that unholy stench of, of burning jet fuel and, and, and bodies and God knows what else was being consumed by the flames that were smoldering in the foundation of the World Trade Center. And he didn't want to have that conversation with me. And then when um, Jackson, so as I'm coming home after my big argument, I get a call from Jackson Lee's counsel. She was the ranking Democrat on the Immigration Subcommittee. And the guy called me up. He said, is this Mr. Cutler? I said, yes. And I remember I was going down my block in my car, and he said to me, America needs you in Washington, Mr. Cutler. Your country needs you. And I thought this was a goof. I said, sure thing. Who are you? And then he told me. And he said, do you know that two dead terrorists just got permission to go to flight school? I actually almost hit the tree in front of my house. And the following week, I found myself at the hearing, uh, brought two of my boys with me, and it was an unbelievable hearing. It's still available on C-SPAN as part of their permanent library. It's worth watching to listen to the indignation of the members of Congress who were livid. We've got to get control over the system. We need to make certain that when people come here and violate the law, we find them and deport them. We need to make certain that terrorists don't have opportunities in our country. Where are we? So what was really remarkable is very often with George W. Bush, would do or say something stupid, which was probably any day with a Y in it, I would get a call mostly from the Republicans, and they'd say, can you come to Washington? And I'd say, what did he do now? And we all knew who I was talking about. Well, we just gave him enough money to hire 800 new immigration agents and 2,000 Border Patrol agents. I said, well, that's a low number. Yeah, well, he cut the 800 to 143 and the 2,000 Border Patrol to 210. Wow. And that was the purpose for this particular hearing when I went to Washington about resources for interior enforcement. And what was amazing was what Sheila Jackson Lee had to say. Everyone has changed their position. I want to know who got to them and why. So Jackson Lee says this. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman, meeting hostel. Let me welcome the witnesses as well. Welcome new members of our committee particularly those on the minority side, because she was on the minority side as a Democrat, because the Republicans controlled Congress at the time. As the chairman has done, those have been added on the majority side. We've now had a series of hearings on how we can do better, and frankly, we also have had a series of hearings that would point out some of the fractures in the system. Today, we talked about ICE functions in the Bureau of Immigration and Customs Enforcement that was merged, 
had merged investigations function into the former Immigration and Naturalization Service and Customs Service. And she goes on to all this. And, and then she talks about um, what's broken. So she said, yesterday in the Homeland Security, we had the opportunity as well to listen to the questions being raised as to whether or not we should re-engage these two entities under one and whether or not the idea of enforcement inside the United States enforcement at the border should be as one. That was what I had recommended to the Congress. In fact, I testified before the Immigration Reform Caucus in November of 2001, just about six weeks after 9-11, when I talked about my notion of the enforcement tripod. The inspectors enforce the laws at ports of entry, the Border Patrol between ports of entry, and the agents uh, back up that operation with interior enforcement. I was removed as an agent the next day, ostensibly because I had injured my leg at work. I had a bad knee. Okay, and? No, the truth will set you free. That's what this government is about. And so she says this, frankly, Mr. Chairman, I think that in light of the needed requirements to up it, if you will, to ratchet it up on protecting this nation, I think we should have no stone unturned on how we could be more effective in doing that. So this is a particularly important hearing as we address the question of whether or not we have the appropriate resources. The Bureau of Immigration and Customs Enforcement Merge Investigation Function, the former INS and Customs Service, uh, and INS Detention and Removal Functions, it goes into all of this. I, I don't want to bog you down with it, but I, I just want you to, uh, I want to get to that part that was really amazing. Uh, she says this, just recently, for example, we were able to applaud Operation Predator, which was able to bring in 5,000 arrests since 2003. Imagine Jackson Lee all excited that they locked up 5,000 illegal aliens. Today, they don't want anybody locked up. This is insane. Was able to bring in 5,000 arrests since 2003 on the question of those who are non-citizens who have come into this country and who have been predators against our children. Also, for instance, ICE investigators conducted an eight-month investigation last year of two men who were selling false identity documents to members of terrorist organizations. The ICE investigators developed such a strong case against these individuals that they pleaded guilty on February 28, 2005, to a charge of involvement in a conspiracy to sell false identity documents to purported members of Abu Sayyaf, a Philippine-based group that has been designated as a foreign terrorist organization. The Intelligence Reform and Terrorism Prevention Act of 2004 authorizes 800 new ICE investigators for fiscal year 2006 through 2010. The president's budget only requests for 143 ICE investigators for FY 2006, which is only 17% of the authorized number. We need all 800 additional ICE investigators authorized by the Intelligence Reform and Terrorism Prevention Act. And with little lightness, Mr. Chairman, maybe the administration was simply trying to tease us, to egg us on, to see if we had the stomach to do what is right. And that means that we need to fully fund 800 additional ICE investigators. Let's take the bait, if you will, accept the challenge and do what we need to do. The National Intelligence Reform and Terrorism Prevention Act also authorized 8,000 new detention beds each year from FY 2006 through 2010. The president, however, requested only funding 1,920 beds for FY 2006, which is only 24% of the authorized number. Mr. Chairman, I know that you are headed to the border, at least a portion thereof. I've spent some time at that border with Congressman Ortiz. I know what was, I saw what was the need then and now in this crisis. Hardworking men and women also understand the need of securing the border, but more importantly, understanding the needs of retaining those who have entered the country illegally. In other words, lock them up, right? They cannot do their job without full funding of these detention beds and the recognition that, in fact, we have a responsibility to provide them with necessary resources. And she goes on. They understand the issues. So what happened? What happened? Where did they go off the charts? What happened to them? Who got to them? And then what is so astonishing to me, there was Inspector General report that was just released. uh, Bear with me one moment. Okay. This is a redacted report 
issued by the Office of Inspector General, this is to say internal affairs. DHS encountered obstacles to screen, vet, and inspect all evacuees during the recent Afghanistan crisis. The date of this report, September 6, 2022, just a couple days ago, three days ago. And this is what it says. The OIG, what we found, after meeting with more than 130 individuals in the Department of Homeland Security, we determined the DHS encountered obstacles to screen, vet, and inspect all Afghan refugees arriving as part of Operation Allies Refuge, OAR slash Operations Ally Welcome. Specifically, U.S. Customs and Border Protection did not always have the critical data to properly screen, vet, or inspect the evacuees. We determined that some information used to vet evacuees through the U.S. government databases, such as name, date of birth, identification number, travel document data, was inaccurate, incomplete, or missing. We also determined that CBP admitted or paroled evacuees who were not fully vetted into the United States. Three days ago. We attribute DHS challenge to not having one a list of Afghan evacuees who were unable to provide sufficient identification documents, two, a contingency plan to support similar emergency situations, and three, standardized policies. As a result, DHS may have admitted or paroled individuals into the United States who posed a risk to national security and the safety of local communities. DHS response, they did not concur. They just said, no, you're wrong. I've never seen that quite like that. No, you're wrong. Instead of saying, you know, we could have done better. No, we did it right. You don't like it. Too bad. You're wrong. Really. You know, it's said that one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. I sometimes wonder uh, about Mr. Mayorkas and who we consider the terrorist and who we consider the freedom fighter. I wrote an article about Mayorkas and what we were doing in Afghanistan for Front Page magazine. I hope after my program you'll go to Front Page and check out the article. Uh, And my article's title was Providing Former Taliban Associates with Visas and Asylum, Um, because that was my concern, that this is exactly what would be happening, because this is the guy who ordered applications always be uh, approved. How do you do that? Why do you do that? What is wrong with this guy, and what is wrong with this administration, and why is it that they refuse to take common-sense measures that parallel what the findings and recommendations of the 9-11 Commission called for? This isn't rocket science. And I remember after 9-11, think of how many politicians from both parties stood at the microphones and demanded to know, demanded to know, why did nobody connect the dots? Why did nobody connect the dots? How is that possible that nobody was able to connect the dots so that we know what we're dealing with, so that we could have prevented the attack? How is that possible? Think about that. How is that a possibility? Right? And now what have we done? What have we done? Think about what we've done. What we've done now is to open up our borders, and leave our nation completely vulnerable to terrorists, drug dealers, criminals. And we call this the Department of Homeland Security. I call it the Department of Homeland Surrender. And when you look at how much money the NGOs are getting in order to house these millions of illegal aliens, I think perhaps we should be calling it the Department of Hospitality Services. Are we safe? Absolutely not. And you know I have that same terrible feeling in my gut that uh, I had before 9-11. On the Friday before 9-11, I had a screaming match with the then Republican counsel to the House Judiciary Committee, and I said to him, what the F is it going to take, another attack at the Trade Center? We had that fight on the Friday before 9-11. And when you look at all the aliens who are in the country now, let in, whether through Afghanistan, this terribly flawed process, the open borders. No one talks about people coming across the Canadian border, although there have been some DOJ press releases about fentanyl activity on the Canadian border. You don't hear that in the media. Or a terrorist wanted, uh, who was just convicted and sentenced to life um, for killing soldiers, Syrian soldiers. He was part of ISIS on the Canadian border. This is where the guy lives in Canada. He's a Saudi 
Canadian citizenship. So we have all these people coming in, free access to America, sanctuary cities harboring them, shielding them. And on 9-11, 19 terrorists killed more people than we lost to the Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor. And as I was driving today, I, I heard a news report. And the news report is about how they need more money for the people, especially first responders, the firefighters, and so forth, who became sickened when the towers collapsed. Um, there's a drug bill named for a police officer who died of those medical issues, and they're running out of money. We are losing an average of one first responder every 10 days. 9-11 certainly isn't just in the history books. There are people suffering in our country today because of it, and the risks have become greatly exacerbated. And remember, there have been terror attacks since 9-11. But all that the Biden administration wants to focus on are white, conservative, uh, what they call extremists. Why not look at anybody who's an extremist? But Mike Cutler, personally, anybody who believes that violence is a legitimate way to get political objectives taken care of is a terrorist. And I don't care what your goals are, even if I might agree with your goals. Violence delegitimizes anything that you want to accomplish. We have to find nonviolent ways of doing things. Um, but that's not what Biden talks about. He talks about the intimidation by the right, but ignores how the judges were mistreated when they were deciding Roe v. Wade <clears throat> and even how Kavanaugh's life was threatened by a would-be assassin. Doesn't talk about the riots that killed how many people across America or the riots at the White House that injured nearly 100 federal officers, set fire to the church across from the White It's a one-sided argument. Vilify your fellow Americans and ignore the threats that we face from transnational gangs and terrorist organizations and adversaries such as China, Iran, Russia, North Korea. A nation's security begins at its borders, and it's not just the Mexican border. But you wouldn't know it if you listened to the media. As we enter the fall season, there will still be people getting together, social gatherings. Hopefully COVID will be in the rearview mirror, so we'll be able to get together with friends and family and neighbors. We need to have serious conversations, folks, not fights. Uh, don't argue with people. This isn't a productive way to do business. And, and stop using crazy terms like, you know, the bleeding heart liberal. There's nothing wrong with being compassionate. I mean, really, who would you want for a friend, a cold-hearted SOB or somebody who does have compassion? I think compassion is an attribute, not a, a negative. But I think that a lot of Americans have been misled. And I think that the truth, which has been in short supply, is the solution. Please go to my website, michaelcutler.net, check out my articles at Front Page Magazine, and please send the link to this program, to the podcast, to as many people as you can. We need to open the lines of communication with our neighbors and our fellow Americans. It's really important. I thank you for your time today. I, I hope that all of you have a wonderful weekend. Um, and please remember, folks, that democracy is not a spectator sport. What we really need is for Americans to celebrate the First Amendment, which is at the foundation of our wonderful republic. Have a great weekend, everybody. I look forward to seeing you again next, next uh, week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. And... Um, Keep the victims of 9-11 in your thoughts and prayers as we observe the 21st anniversary of the, uh, of the terror attacks. I thank you for joining me, and we'll see you next week. So long for now. <laughs>